This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. In France, women and girls under the age of 25 have access to free birth control. And just this week, they've also made condoms free to those under the age of 25. France is trying to reduce the amount of sexually transmitted disease, which is on the rise. So today, Daniel Miles, we're asking the question, should Victoria follow suit? It's an interesting question, Rochelle, because we're facing the same issue here as they are in France. We've got the number of STIs. It's on the up for young people in Victoria and right across the globe. And we know that the number of teen or unwanted pregnancies is higher in regional and remote areas due to a lack of access to things like sexual health services. And the fact that really it can be hard for people to access birth control without the rest of the town knowing. So if we were to make... Mm birth control free, what would it look like here in Victoria? And there's a big difference, isn't there, between free and access. So you could Mm -hmm. make something free, but if it's not in a place that's easy to access, then how beneficial is it? So if we're talking regional and rural where everybody knows you if they're free, but they're still from your local pharmacy... Right, uh, And if you're under the age of 18 and your mum and dad maybe don't know that you're sexually active but you want to be safe, are you going to go into the local pharmacy where you know the pharmacist and they know your parents exactly. and before, before you get home, someone's on the phone and mum and dad know everything? Exactly. Or is it in a pub somewhere like that that they can't access without somebody knowing or, or that kind of thing? Do we need to make it accessible in an area where as well, we've got the the chance to educate. It's one thing to make it free, but we also need to empower and educate at the same time. So is there a service, a model somewhere where you can have access to this free birth control, but also have access to someone who can inform you and, and tell you about your options? Because it's more than just a thing of putting a big bowl of condoms out on a table, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. I guess you could make the comparison there, couldn't you, to safe injection rooms where the argument might be, well, it's just a place where people can inject drugs. It's like, well, no, it's also a place where you can be connected to other services, where you have an opportunity to speak to someone, whether it be counselling, whether it be financial or emotional help, whatever that assistance is that you might need. There are wraparound services and education that are available in these precincts. So... Free and access, how do we bring those together? And do you actually think it's something where Victoria would follow suit? Is it something that we would do? I mean, I don't even, I can't even think of the last time I saw a sexual health campaign, like an advertising awareness campaign anywhere. And where would you even begin to run one of those now? And that's what we were talking about just moments before we went on air. It's a different world that we live in now. We've got access to everything at our fingertips, on a smartphone, on a screen, on a radio. We're so stimulated from so many different places that we need to start the education almost earlier than we ever had before, which is why we're looking at bringing these things in. And France, it's a leader in this, under 25 Females have access to free birth control and now free condoms. But there's the other question as well, is do we need to be accessing, offering this to men as well as women? There's so much to unravel here and whether it'll actually be a success is the final element. It's all well and good to make these things available, but we know that there are issues that we're tackling with this problem. Would it make a difference in your community? So is free birth control a good idea? What would it look like? How would it work? And would it curb unwanted pregnancies and STIs? On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is The Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt with you in Melbourne, Daniel Miles joining you from ABC Warnable. And a big difference, I think, Daniel, when we're talking about free birth control, whether that be, and there's a big difference between free condoms and where they're positioned and then birth control for women. So if you're Mm -hmm. talking about IUDs or if you're talking about taking the contraceptive pill, that needs to be done obviously with the doctor and consultation, depending on your age, there needs to be a parent involved as well. And lots of health aspects need to come into that. So there's a big difference between that being free and the education wrapped around it and condoms, Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, looking at where you can provide that sexual health information. So they're very different, aren't they? But this is what France has done. They've made both both parts of birth control free. 
Yeah, and I think they're really tackling the issue head on in that sense that they've mm. they've seen this is an issue that we're seeing. We've seen a rise in unwanted pregnancies, a rise in teen pregnancies, and a rise in sexually transmitted infections. And this is one way that they can tackle it. Um, but you made a really interesting point at the top there. It's a different conversation having it in a metropolitan city where there are so many different places you can get it. The Melbourne CBD, if this was something that was installed at you know either public bathrooms or, or convenience stores or that, there's a plethora around. But as you get into more regional and then more rural and remote communities, that's where we don't have as many touch points. And as you mentioned, you know, I go to the supermarket at Port Ferry Every time I go there, I know someone who's behind the desk <laughs> and, and they know someone that I know. And uh, the, the rumour mill and the whisper factory, it's a, the Bush Telegraph is known for being exactly that. It, it fires up at the smallest little whim and, and that can be a barrier and we don't want that to be a barrier for young people who might be too scared to access those, those prophylactics mm. or, or whatever it is because next thing you know, mum's calling you and saying, what are you doing? And I wonder where cost of living comes into this conversation now as well. one three hundred triple two seven seven four. Nikita Stocker is a youth outreach worker at the Youth Holistic Outreach Program at Youth Projects and have recently just set up a sexual health pop-up clinic in Glenroy. Nikita, is it important, do you think, to have birth control free for those under the age of 25? Oh, I, absolutely, I do. And hi, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I think that it is an incredibly crucial thing that everyone has a right to. I mean, uh, at the core of it, it comes down to safety and that is a basic human right. So, um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Nikita, what's it like for young people at the moment who are, are, are becoming sexually active, may have questions, may want to be, you know, taking that next step? What services are available? What's it, what's it actually like for those young people? Um, I think that it's a really interesting time for young people that are wanting to, you know, get more information or, or, you know, find out where they can resource this kind of thing. And, I mean, from a healthcare perspective, I mean, obviously you've got your GPs and, you know, everything like that. But like you were saying, some of the time with living costs and whatever disadvantages young people may be facing at the moment, that's not always an easy option. So, um, I mean... Young people are really resourceful and um, show a lot of initiative in exploring their, their, like where they're sourcing their information from, you know, whether it's um, Instagram or whether it's online, that kind of thing, and services that provide a lot of that information on there. But uh, realistically, it's it's a weird time for young people to find out where to go and how they can get there. <laughs> What do you mean by it's a weird time as in there's just too much information, not enough information? Uh, I think there's there's a lot of information out there and so much of it that is out there is really, really fantastic. Like you've got so many services that do, you know, they have they have web pages, they've got, you know, um, you know, services like mine where we work with young people to then kind of refer them on to other services that they can find to, you know, kind of meet their needs. But like I said, you've got costs that come into it as you know different you know say you've got different friend groups different cultural backgrounds and I mean like whether that be your school culture whether that be your family culture all of these different barriers Mm. that then come into it it can be a really overwhelming time for young people to know what's available to them and what's right and what's not. We're talking with Nikita Stocker a youth outreach worker Nikita, is there a difference for country kids and city kids when it comes to accessing information, accessing services? Are they playing in different ballparks here? Um, look, I can't really answer that very well. I, like, I'm based in Melbourne and, I, and I'm a Melbourne girl through and through and I'm working with young people in um, the northwestern region of Melbourne, so I can't really speak for, for regional young people, unfortunately, but I think there are definitely a lot more resources in the CBD kind of you know as a like as an umbrella term i think you know if you're wanting to go somewhere that maybe like you were saying before you don't know the person down the road or they're not your neighbor mm. and that kind of thing um and there's a little bit more anonymity to it um that is a luxury that i think is there in in metro melbourne well yeah you but, can just change yeah. suburbs you know just jump on a train exactly. and go to a different suburb it's interesting there's a text yeah. here that says access is as important as cost when it comes to youth and contraception i grew up in a small victorian town and when 
they installed a vending machine offering cheap condoms in the public toilets near the town hall, no teenager would be seen anywhere near that toilet block for fear of people thinking that they were accessing the condoms. In addition, the pharmacy employed by the local teenagers, so picking up pill prescriptions was also hard to do without anybody knowing. Free would not have helped in that case either. Stay with us because Professor Danielle Mezar has called through. She's at Monash University. Professor, welcome. What made you call the talkback line? Oh, thanks. Uh, really happy to join this conversation because uh, at uh, the Department of General Practice at Monash Uni, we're doing a lot of research trying to improve access uh, to sexual and reproductive health services like contraception, especially in rural and regional areas. And I just wanted to uh, draw uh, to the attention of your listeners the fact that uh, last year, the government introduced uh, telehealth sexual and reproductive health uh, item numbers under Medicare, which means that uh, anyone in Australia uh, can, through Medicare, have a um, consultation to do with contraception or abortion or menopause or, uh, you know, anything to do with sexual and reproductive health, sexually transmitted infections. They can have a, a telehealth consultation and have that supported by Medicare with a remote provider. So that means it doesn't have to be your local GP, um, but it can be uh, a GP that's practicing at a distance from you. So you can be living in Western Victoria and access uh, services uh, through telehealth with someone in Sydney, for example. And I'm not sure that the general public is aware of that, um, but it's certainly a very useful uh, means for young people to get access to services remotely. So that's one great way of accessing information and services. But, Professor, what about for, for regional kids? And I, I potentially unfairly ask this of Nikita, so I'm going to rely on your expertise <laughs> here. Uh, kids in rural towns, uh, remote areas, when it comes to physically accessing things like free condoms, they can't just hop on the 19 tram and, and go down the line. Uh, are they at a disadvantage when it comes to comparing them with Metro kids? Oh, oh, for sure. And, you know, telehealth uh, will give access to um, a healthcare professional like a GP, but it won't um, enable them to access something like a, an implant or an IUD that requires, uh, the, you know, the physical interaction and, uh, co and consultation. But I guess, I guess, you know, part of the difficulty for, for rural uh, young people is actually being able to navigate to services and knowing where those services are that they can access. And I, I just wanted to highlight that telehealth is a means for them yeah. to, to get that kind of information. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and get back to a clinic that's, that's available to them more locally. Danielle, that's a really important point. Thank you so much for calling our talkback line, which is one three hundred triple two seven seven four. if you'd like to join today's conversation. Nikita Stocker is still with you, a youth outreach worker at the Youth Holistic Outreach Program at Youth Projects and has recently set up a sexual health pop-up clinic in Glenroy. And earlier, Nikita, Danielle and I were talking about how where you put free birth control is an interesting concept when you think of all of those wraparound services that could potentially be there. So when you have a, a, a pop-up clinic, so to speak, how important is that for the sexual health education of, of young people and especially when it comes to things like STIs? Yeah, I, I think, it's, like I keep saying, I think it's really, really important. So the, the initiative of the pop-up clinic that we had, which was a free sexual health pop-up clinic, but also kind of if you needed a GP, it was there too, um, was created after research from Alfred Health um, indicated a rise in STIs, particularly in Melbourne's northwestern and CBD areas. So really we kind of figured out where we needed to be and then based it from there. Um, and our goal was really to, and like I said, I'm, I'm working with young people. So for my job role, my goal was to be letting young people know that this was a service that they could reach out to that was a safe, non-judgmental, confidential space for them to go to access a GP, to access a nurse, to discuss anything that they were wanting to discuss um, and really kind of, I don't know, with a focus of destigmatizing coming into those places as well and finding those safe spaces where you could ask those questions that, you know, aren't always the sexy questions to ask but are really necessary. Um, you know, in the prevention and, and, you know, 
constant information building of, um, you know, how to practice safe sex and yeah. what that looks like. And Nikita, you bring up a really good point there because a lot of these questions aren't sexy and, and it's all well and good, you know, for Rochelle and I to sit here and say, this is what we need to, to know for young people. But what are the questions that young people are actually coming to you with? Well, I mean, it's it's a really, it's an interesting time because, you know, I guess it was different. Like, a you know, if you look at 10, 20 years ago when, you know, condoms were really, really pushed and that was the big driver. Whereas now, um, you know, sexual exploration and sexual identity is so much broader than kind of that heterosexual mm-hmm. um, kind of direction. So it's really kind of asking what the right, contraceptives are for them and what works with you know the sexual partners that they may be having or you know if the contraceptives that they're using may not be doing what they're wanting it to do you know if we're looking at things like the pill and how that affects the body stuff like that preventatives those kinds of things it's it's figuring out what's out there other than just you know condoms and the pill <laughs> yeah because there is such it's a so broad important. range of yeah, variety yeah and which is why these pop-up clinics i mean i think it sounds like we need more of them and just being able because the fact is especially when you're young you mightn't want to talk to your friends you're probably mm. not going to want to talk to your parents and Absolutely your parents and your not. friends aren't going to have the answers you know mm. and if they do they're probably not right so you need to have that expertise and that safe space that you can go to as well and it might be initially it might not be your gp especially if you've been going to your gp for a long time you might need something like one of these pop-up clinics so i think it's wonderful what you're doing Nikita. thanks so much Thank you. It's been great to talk to you both. I really appreciate it. Nikita Stocker there. She's a youth outreach worker with the Holistic Outreach Program at Youth Projects. Karen's called us from Thornbury. Morning. Hi. Um, yeah, I'm calling from Thornbury. I am a woman in my early 50s. When I was a teenager, there was a place in the city called the Action Centre. And without my parents knowing, I went to the Action Centre after um, I had become sexually active and received the pill, um, no questions asked. Um, I was encouraged to have a pap smear um, and this was done without my parents knowing as well. Um, And that pap smear actually revealed some um, cells in my cervix that needed to be um, taken out, um, which could have led to something a bit more sinister later on in life. Mm. So, look, my friends knew about the Action Centre. We caught the train in from the suburbs, um, were able to access um, contraception and and have that support around um, sexual... Um, uh, it was more around, I guess, sexually transmitted disease and... Um, well, this is what I was going to say. Was there a lot of information given Karen and who was... Because the, the pill, like, it seems very simple, right? I always get the pill as birth control. But mm. over the years and over the decades, we've learned that the pill is not that simple. It doesn't suit everyone, that there are mm-hmm. serious side effects, including mental health ramifications, all sorts of mm. things, not for everyone. Mm. But, you know, if it was given out relatively easily, I'm just wondering later in life, did you look back on that and think that that was a good thing? Um, look, considering my, um, I ended up... Um, having breast cancer in my 40s and look there is links between uh, you know is there links between being on the pill at an early age and changing your hormones um in an unnatural way i do think that there's some research now showing that the longer you're on the pill from a younger age there could be increased risk of breast cancer um I don't, I, yeah, don't quote yeah. me on that. No, but no, but it's just that information, isn't it? Yeah, but the fact yeah. that you had a safe space to go to, I remember, I've, I forgot about that place, but I, yeah, I remember friends yeah. at uni accessing it and I think even cards were given out at um, show bags at university. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and look, it just really helped us as teenagers, you know, back in the 80s to, to access things that weren't from the local GP and, you know, I'm sure it did help... Um, us with our sexual um, exploration and, you know, would have prevented some um, possibly unwanted pregnancies. 
Karen, thank you very much for calling. And you've raised a really good point. We've got this on the text line. Some not-for-profit community health services in Victoria used to employ sexual health nurses, and this could be a model for the future. An outreach model in community health services could work. Texted in Kate from Albion. Uh, the numbers to get in contact with us, one three hundred triple two seven seven four, or you can send us a text, 0437 774 774. We've got one caller on the line who knows a little bit about this. Catherine Ellis has called in as the CEO of Youth Affairs Council of Victoria. Catherine, thanks for calling the talkback line. Uh, what would you like to say about this story? Thanks very much for having me on. Yeah, it's a, such an important area for young people. And I want to just firstly um, endorse everything that Nikita said earlier about youth workers being able to create safe spaces where young people can come and talk about issues that um, they're, they're struggling with, whether whether it's sexual health and, and contraception or anything. And yet the number of youth workers in the state, particularly in rural and regional areas, has been decreasing over time. And we're really um, advocating for the government to think about beefing up those numbers of youth workers again, because they play such a critical role mm. in, in this kind of space and in others. Why are they we, declining, Catherine? Um, so money's being sort of more put into specialist services, whether it's, it's mental health or it's um, uh, homelessness services and things like that, and l- less recognition of the importance of the generalist role that youth workers play because they work in a very holistic way, a very relational way, and build a trusted um, bond with young people that um, means they can work in a, in a really non-stigmatised way as well. And, and that disappears as services become more specialist and, and siloed. So Captain. I think it's, it's, it's a shame because youth workers do such brilliant work and they're so critical, particularly in rural and regional communities. Hmm. Catherine, we started this conversation uh, at the top of the hour talking about something they've done in France where they've brought in uh, free birth control and free condoms for women aged 25 and under. Is that something that you think could work here in Victoria? I think having easy access to contraception is a really important thing for young people. But along with that, you need to have... um, it needs to be available in a way where it's non-stigmatised. And I think the comments before about the Bush Telegraph and and uh, that kind of thing are, are really critical. And, and, and therefore, having spaces where young people are gathering for all kinds of reasons that allow them to access contraception and access sexual and reproductive health information is, is really important. Um, and, and I think that that education side of it is critical as well. And that, you know, it, it's not necessarily... A space young people don't want to necessarily get sex education from their parents or their teachers and so having those more trusted community spaces are incredibly important for that it's so great that you called our talk back line Catherine thanks so much that was Catherine Ellis she's the CEO of the Youth Affairs Council of Victoria and Daniel Miles you never know who's listening because we've had so many different people from the sexual health sector either call in or text in as well as Catherine there's a text here from the Action Centre who we were talking about before it says the Action Centre is at 94 Elizabeth Street we also have a clinic in Box Hill and that's from Caroline who is actually the CEO of Sexual Health Victoria who's listening to this program and has sent us a message as well. Our number's 1300 777 and you can text through whoever you are, wherever you're listening on 0437 774 774. Dr Kathleen McNamee is the Medical Director of Sexual Health Victoria. Kathleen, I guess first question, should we be following the lead of France and, and making birth control free to people under the age of 25? I think it'd be fantastic if we could. Um, the, the cost generally in Australia for, for a number of pills is, is reasonably cheap. And, you know, if someone's got a healthcare cut, the cost of an IUD or implant itself is reasonably cheap. But um, it's the insertion cost that, that's the problem and the access to the insertion that's the real difficulty for people. Kathleen, one thing you've been looking at uh, is a report that, that touches on things like the increase in HIV, viral hepatitis and STIs across Australia. Yeah. What's the current state of play in Australia? Where do we stand? We, we know we've had the HIV conversation through generations, mm-hmm. but where do we look at now? In terms of control of STIs? Yeah. 
Yeah. Look, I, I think it's reasonably complex. Like HIV actually is going down, you know, with the introduction of PrEP, um, preventative treatment to prevent people from getting HIV. Um, and, you know, with the pandemic, things did go down a little bit. It's it's really hard to know exactly where to go. Like you'd think logically you just do a lot of extra testing and that's going to pick things up. But there's not really good evidence for that. Um, and um, I, I think it's really important to, to focus on... on um, diagnosing um, pelvic infections in, in, in people who have chlamydia quickly so they can get treatment, um, partner notification. And the other thing is we recommend a, a test of reinfection for, for a number of infections about three months later because there's actually quite a high pickup rate at that stage because people having sex within a community and if you've got it, maybe more people in your community will have it, but very few people actually have that test. Kathleen, when we talk about safe sex campaign, do you think that mm. for young people when they think about say, what safe sex looks like, it means not yes. getting pregnant as opposed to uh, potentially some kind of infectious disease, sexually transmitted disease? Look, I think it's both, but I think it'd be fair to say that, you know, an unintended pregnancy would, would be the bigger concern for a lot of people, um, you know, particularly because a lot of the STIs don't have any symptoms um so you know it's not often on the, on the forefront of their, their mind um I, I think that the thing about free condoms in france is is really good because uh, you know there's not a lot of evidence that that a lot of what we say as medical professionals actually increases people's uptake of, of condoms um and you know sometimes it can even seem a bit breachy and might prevent people from coming back because they feel they're going to get a, another ear fill if they come back again <laughs> Um, so, you know, having really accessible condoms um, that, that people can pick up without any embarrassment. Like we, we, we used to be called the Action Centre, we're Melbourne Sexual, uh, Sexual Health Victoria now. We have free condoms here that people can just pick up in a brown paper bag and, you know, it, it's So where quite, else would you put them? Simple. Sorry? Where yeah, else would you a, put them? It, it's a good point. Like I, I know the um, Centre of Excellence in, in Rural Health have done a lot of work of, of sort of having vending machines and, and different things where people can pick up condoms in, in rural areas. But, you know, I imagine having to go into a pharmacy and ask for a bag of condoms would put a lot of people off. And part of this conversation as well, Kathleen, is what role do we have in education? Do we need to actually bring the education mm. forward in this conversation? Y young people, we've got access to all of the information we need at our fingertips. And like you said, sometimes you don't want to go somewhere where you feel you're going to cop an earful. What's yes. the answer to that? Yes, well, I think the education is really important and part of our role at sexual health, a big part of our role is, is doing education. We do a lot of education in schools and community settings, um, you know, to, to try and encourage people to, to access things. But, yeah, it's quite a, quite a tricky issue where, where you're going to get them. Like, you know, if, if they've got a limited budget for, for condoms and want it to be for young people, but... Uh, you know, where, where are they going to put them that, that only those people will access them? I don't know. It's a tricky question. I know. And that's the other thing too is cost of living and the, the price of, of birth control and whether or yes. not that will start mm. to see, you know, STIs rise as a result of that or if that's the reason as to why people aren't practising safe sex. Kathleen, thanks for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye, Dr. Kathleen McNamee there, the Medical Director of Sexual Health Victoria. Rochelle Hunt and Daniel Miles with you. Daniel, this text that says, bring back Dolly magazine. Well, I actually spoke to Dolly Doctor, right? I can't believe it. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I know. Every time I speak to her, I'm like, oh, my God, she's like my hero. <laughs> I can't believe her number's saved in my phone. But she wasn't available today, but she's put us onto an incredible woman who we're going to speak to a little later. But isn't it fascinating that however many decades later, people still talk about Dolly Doctor and Dolly Magazine and the role that it played because you could ask those questions. You could write mm. in with a fake name or then, you know, you would hide there and you would read it and you'd, be, you'd get all these, you'd get information, you know, that yeah. you just didn't get anywhere else. And what is the Dolly Doctor of the modern age? Because, uh, I mean, people aren't hustling around Dolly Magazines around the campfire when they go on holidays anymore. So where is that? That accessible information that the young people are, are getting. Danielle's called in from Ballarat. Good morning, Danielle. G'day, how are you going? Good, what would you like to say? I guess I just had a couple of um, points to make around the education pieces and people keep saying that there needs to be education provided when you're giving the condoms or at the same point. 
But I think you're actually preaching to the choir there and they're already getting the condoms. So it needs to be education um, targeted at different groups. And one of those groups, if we're worried about, um, I think like you mentioned the grapevine, someone seeing it, like education mm -hmm. around the fact that there's no stigma here. There's nothing to comment about. Um, so what do you yeah, think... So it's it's a really good point you've made, Daniel. What do you think is the way to reach these people? When when people are already coming in for condoms, they've got the message in their head. Yeah. How do we get those people that are yet to come in? I think just general sources that are accessible for anyone that's thinking about it. Um, and for younger people, that's going to be online. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting to think differently about who are we educating. So maybe the, the social education campaign would be how about don't be, you know, judgy McJudge pants if someone mm -hmm. is going in and you think that they're accessing free condoms, well, then none of your business if they yeah. are or aren't. So, you know, whether or who you educate. But I liked your point, Daniel, too, of where do we place sexual health education? How young are we doing it at school? What mm. resources are there for parents and carers, for individuals to have that information? Where can they easily access that information? There's a text here from HB in Geelong and it says, I'm not sure if it's still current, but Geelong had a youth hub at the courthouse where there was art and theatre and exhibitions and a cafe. It was all focused on young people. You could be visiting the venue for any Anything, so it was all anonymous. I'm in my 60s and getting a prescription for the pill was really difficult back then in an era where the Young People's Medical Centre filled a huge gap in a regional city. You weren't judged for your individual challenges. It's frustrating that these same troubles are still challenging us. Mm, and it it's, comes back to the point of making it an incidental contact with this information. It needs to be somewhere, which is what we, we've heard on the text line and from our callers, that the young people are going anyway because you don't want to be seen. Like one person said, there was the, the one cubicle that had the free condoms and as soon as you went anywhere near the postcode of that cubicle, there was the judgment on you. So stigma is one thing and access is another. And a person who knows a fair bit about that is Dr Darren Russell, the Director of Sexual Health at the Cairns Sexual Health Service and a cl clinical associate professor at Melbourne University. He joins us now. Darren, good morning to you. Where do we start this conversation? We, we started it with what's happening in France, and, and I like that as a touch point. 25 and under, free condoms, free birth control. Could we do it here in Australia? Yeah, good morning. I think that's a really good question. Uh, France has done that, but a number of other countries too. You're looking at Belgium, Germany, the Netherlands, Norway, all make uh, contraception available free of charge to teenagers, to young people. And in the United Kingdom with their NHS, most contraception is free for everyone. So Australia is a little bit behind uh, in, in many ways. But I Why think is Kathy that I think... It's partly the, the federal state system we have here that complicates things. Um, one of the callers before, I think it was Cathy McNamee from Sexual Health Victoria, was saying that even if we make the contraceptives uh, available and free, then how are we actually going to administer them? How are you going to get a prescription for those? How is the, the, the bar going to be inserted into the arm? Or how is the IUD going to be inserted? Because there's going to be a cost for that. Or, and you know, I'm in regional Australia, you just may not be able to access a general practitioner or another healthcare provider because they're just not there. I guess that's where it comes down to. There's a very big difference between free and access, isn't there? Those two words, you know, might look like they mean the same thing, but they're actually very different. Very much so. I mean, you can get the contraceptive pill for about $8 uh, for four months' worth, so $2 a month. So, you know, a cheap prescription is, uh, is very cheap indeed. So the cost of some of the contraceptives is already very low. And yes, being free would be better, but it's the access that's the problem. And I think I've been listening to your program and a lot of the callers are making the same point. Dr. Darren, we're, we were speaking with Nikita Stoker earlier, who's a youth outreach worker, and she touched on something that um, I'd love to get your perspective on. And that's the, the way that the queer community, the LGBTQI plus community, um, has access to relevant information to them. This is a, a changing world that we live in. Mm. Do we have enough information for that community, for cold communities, to have access to information that empowers them and, and is accessible to them? It's certainly a lot better than it was. Uh, there's a survey of Australian secondary students that uh, happens every few years, and the last one occurred in 2018, and 
most students in that survey of year 10, 11, 12 students had accessed the internet to find answers to sexual health questions. So almost 80% had done that, even though they didn't do it all that often. So access is probably there. And a lot of young queer students, LGBT students, can access good information and it's becoming increasingly uh, easy to do that. The quality of the information does vary a bit. And, yes. and sometimes, especially too, if you're accessing information from another country, some of the laws or situations and services just may not apply in Australia, of course. Well, that's the concern, isn't it? When you think, okay, well, all the information is on the internet <laughs> and then <laughs> alarm bells go off, you know, in everybody's minds at the moment because trying to decipher what is real, what is right, what is appropriate, what is healthy, all of those things from the internet these days, that's, you know, that's a whole other issue, isn't it? That's right. And if, if you look at that survey from 2018, and I believe another survey is about to be done of, of Australian high school students, you'll find that most people, most young people, felt most confident getting their info from female friends. That was 71%. And they did that quite regularly. They also spoke with their mothers and with male friends, so not as commonly. The most trusted source of information was general practitioners. But once again, how do you access a GP? And I'd certainly encourage every young person from the age of 15, you can get your own Medicare card. So if you're a parent, it can empower a young person to take a bit of control over their own health. Darren, do we start education early enough here in Australia? I remember going through high school and this wouldn't have come up in any of my classes no. until 16, 17. Yeah, year 9, year 10, maybe? At best. Yeah. <laughs> and that's fine. But that's, that's the thing. And the other scary thing is that people are turning to the internet and they're probably turning to the internet before 16, 17. So do we need to actually push that education element to earlier so that you know, we're, we're attacking this when people are starting to, to discover those things and, and head online so that they are getting the correct information at the same time that they're browsing? Absolutely. Uh, really, this relationships and sexuality education should be starting from early in primary school in an age-appropriate manner. Clearly, at that age, you're not talking a lot about sex and stuff, but you start to talk about the difference between mummies and daddies and boys and girls and, and different relationships and so on. And that, as the young person ages, it becomes more age-appropriate. And then, you know, once they're in year 9, 10, 11, you, you are talking more about um, sexuality itself and how to do sex and what sex is about. But that's a bit variable, again, depending which schools you go to, which programs are available throughout the country. But generally, most high school students do get some uh, sexuality education at school, which is, which is a good thing. Darren, thank you so much for joining us on the Conversation Hour. No worries. Thanks for having me. That was Dr Darren Russell, Director of Sexual Health at the Cairns Sexual Health Service and a Clinical Associate Professor at Melbourne University. Rich, that's, he's touched on some really interesting points there about are we educating people early enough and making sure that that information is accessible by a whole range and gamut of people. Mary and Burwood sent a message saying, I went to my local birth control clinic held once or twice a week at the Maternal and Child Health Centre in Burwood. Very kind, very helpful, discreet lady. Do doctor bought me six-month pill for $1, but we're talking 1979 though. And we've had a few texts like that, Daniel, where they're talking about, you know, decades ago. So there were always groups and community groups that would help you and help you in a discreet way. It just sort of feels like we need to ramp it up a little bit though, given yeah. how much information is there. I mean, we haven't even touched on the fact that most people are getting their sexual education now from online pornography and all of the issues that that raises. Mm -hmm. So this is something that needs to be discussed and we need the tools and we need the education around it. So when we ask the simple question, <laughs> should birth control for those under the age of 25 be free? You're starting to see that it's really not uh, as simple as yes or no. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt with you in Melbourne. Daniel Miles joining us, your co-host today from ABC Warnable. We're talking about whether or not Victoria should follow the lead of France and other countries, so we've learnt today, mm -hmm. <laughs> Daniel. Maybe we're one of the few that don't actually do this, but make birth control free for those under the age of 25. But then that raises the question around how do we educate young people around safe sex practice and when do we start? that conversation and how do we start that conversation and 
are, who of us are in a position and are educated enough depending mm. on, you know, the, the, the child or the person or the young person in your life and how maybe they identify as well? You know, where do we get this correct information from? Exactly. And David from Lang Warren's texted in on exactly that point. He says, my son had his first sex ed class around two weeks ago and he's in year five. So as wow. much as the services that we're hearing, we're hearing a lot of people calling up saying, I had this in the 60s, I had this in the 70s, I had this in the 80s. And, you know, you made a good point. It doesn't seem to have ramped up beyond that point. The education side, at least from, from David's perspective, is working one thing that uh, I'm really struggling with in this conversation is we're hearing that, you know, the services and the way that they're operating haven't changed across the decades. But it makes me ask the question, why isn't that working? Because we're mm. seeing STI rates mm. just skyrocket across the globe. So is the answer sitting in front of us? Does France and, and Norway and the UK and the US, have they accessed this information and... and put a solution in front of us that, that we haven't accessed yet for and whatever reason. And I wonder reason. what, you know, is it is something as simple as cost of living, like people mm. aren't purchasing them because they can't afford them, or is it because they're embarrassed, or is it a combination of the two? Joe sent us a message and it says, as a community health nurse back in the 1980s, I was taught sex education in the local, I was teaching sex education in the local high schools. Much more than a biology lesson, it was respect, rights, responsibilities in a relationship, how STDs were transmitted, demonstration of available contraception. I also kept my qualifications updated by attending sessions at the family planning clinic in Richmond the teenagers' feedback was always positive. So isn't that fascinating? Because I think our sexual health education was done by our English teacher, right? Yeah, mine was a snooty old history teacher <laughs> and everyone just rolled their eyes. Yes, or you were embarrassed because you were like, mm. oh, no, this information can't be coming from you. I, I can't listen to this. So even just bringing in a community health nurse, bringing in somebody different, right, and maybe mm. not having the teachers present in the room, I wonder whether that's something that's done or if it is the history teacher or the PE teacher or whoever it is that's still also. By the way, Daniel, today, guess what? Yeah, yeah. you got the short straw. Exactly. We're going from Roman history now to uh, how to put a condom on a banana. <laughs> I'm not sure if that is still the, uh, <laughs> the test please case that's used. Please tell me things used. have changed. Oh, well, please. let's ask somebody who knows a bit more than both you and I, and that's Professor Deborah Bateson, who's the Professor of Practice at the University of Sydney and a former Medical Director at Family planning New South Wales. Deborah, good morning. Uh, the tough question straight up off the top. Are we still using the condom and banana or have we moved on? <laughs> no, no, I, actually, I made a famous comment once. I always have a condom on a banana in my drawer. So yes, it's still a very useful thing. <laughs> but honestly, the callers, you know, just listening in, it's so important because often it is people who, you know, teachers who are lacking confidence and lacking skills and we do need to have those appropriate people, you know, like from the family planning organisations, or at least te they can teach the people to to do that teaching because we it, you know we need to ensure that we're giving those those facts in a, in a, a useful, fun way that young people can digest and want. Would making birth control free help reduce the number of STIs and unwanted pregnancies and teen pregnancies as well? We know that in regional and rural Victoria, and we've done multiple programs on teen pregnancies in in regional parts of this. State. And a lot of what came out was access to birth control. Would it make a difference? Absolutely. <laughs> yes, I think it would absolutely make a difference. In fact, we're part, I'm part of a big coalition where exactly this is exactly what we're calling for, because we do know, particularly in rural uh, rural areas, but not exclusively, uh, that cost is a real barrier for, for young people accessing contraception. And it's not just the cost of you know getting a packet of pills. It's also perhaps if someone chooses to have an implant or an IUD put in, there's costs associated with that. And we know that you know that just means that people don't use or they run out of contraception, they haven't got enough money to get some more, and then that can end up in an unintended pregnancy. So I think, you know, we cannot underestimate cost. And I think giving free contraception, we need to follow those other countries uh, and make this a reality here. An interesting point that you raised there, it's more than just a condom in a bag. It, right. there's, a, there's a plethora of things that can do. But also the, the questions I imagine that people are coming to uh, are a lot greater. We've got... Um, a lot more of a focus 
now than we did generations ago on sexual identity as well as sexual yep. health. Is the diversity of education there to make sure that, that people are not only getting um, information about STIs and, and pregnancies but also around sexual identity? Yep, I think it's a really important point. And it, it's not just, you know, talking about, you know, don't do this, you'll catch an STI, this is the, the names of contraceptives. It's much more around uh, that respectful relationships, consent, uh, gender identity, sexualities. Uh, and that's a lot for teachers to take on, just to say it. So we also need to make sure that there are really credible places, credible websites as well, endorsed by government, that young people can go to um, for this, this information. And, and sometimes there's just a lot of misinformation, you know, on the website and, and as you, on, on various, on, on the web. And people can really find themselves going down, you know, rabbit holes, of course. So I think it's having those credible places. Uh, but it also is, is just having that, that access so understanding where to go you know sometimes people may not want to go to their family gp they mm. may prefer to go to a you know an independent clinic and but they don't know where to go so i think it's, it's all part and parcel of it that's fascinating when you talk about the family gp and previously when i've spoken to women about this if they lived in a small town and if the local doctor uh was religious and had mm -hmm. certain religious beliefs then they wouldn't give the contraceptive pill to a woman that wasn't married or that you know, wasn't, um, yeah, well, basically that wasn't married. They're like, okay, well, if you're a single woman and you're sexually active, then I'm, I don't believe. That's right. It's my religious belief yeah. to, to not give you the pill. So there's lots of issues around that. And there's a text that's come in and it's quite long, so I'll summarise it, but talking about how they used to work at the, uh, the Melbourne Sexual Health Centre back in the 90s and doing counselling as well as education in schools and health mm. services for adults and mm. teens. But something that they realised was the biggest obstacle that they had to information for sexual health was parents and parents yeah. not wanting to engage at all or just the just don't philosophy yeah. and sort of yeah. almost refusing to accept that their child is sexually active. Yes, yes. I mean, there's great vari variability, of course. I mean, some parents are very embracing. In fact, sometimes, you know, I talk to young people who say, oh, you know, I didn't want to tell my parents about this, but they insisted. But I think there's that great variation, and I think pa parents do need to be empowered with the right information, even if, you know, it's just them directing their young person to, to go to a particular website or to go to a particular service. We need everyone to have that, what we call that health literacy, um, to be able to at least answer the questions or direct someone, they may not have all the answers, but to direct uh, their, their young person in their family to, to where, you know, where we'll have those answers. And I think you mentioned around, you know, the GP, we do know, you know that sometimes these issues of, of conscientious objection can be challenging around, you know, giving out emergency contraception or contraception sometimes, and, and there's a lot of work going on. We need to work with the pharmacists as well as all mm. the GPs and specialists to make sure that, you know, if someone does hold a conscientious objection, they absolutely have to, you know, send someone on somewhere else in an immediate way, although we'd rather, of course, every single one of our, you know, practitioners working with young people that, that they're able to engage in these important conversations. Professor Deborah Bates, and stay with us because Ben's called in from Box Hill. Ben, good morning. Morning, how are you? Very well, how are you? Oh, I can't complain. <laughs> so what did you get taught at school, Ben? Um, so I wasn't, so nothing was covered in, in VC in years 11 and 12, um, but from grade 6 to, six to 10, um, we had... Uh, probably about one lesson every year, maybe two. Um, and, you know, there was the old condom on a banana, as you mentioned earlier. Um, Still happening. It's a classic. <laughs> yeah. They never go out of style. Uh, they had a, a lovely banana that had a removable cover oh. um, that was um, realistically styled, shall we wow. say. Oh, um, I see. Well put, mm -hmm. Ben. That's very... <laughs> Very well. So do you think it was helpful, Ben, as a young man? I mean, look, maybe logistically the condom on the banana is just going to stay with us. Maybe it's something that works and, okay, let's just leave that to the side. But were you given the sexual health information that you needed that was helpful for you as you were growing up? Um, in some ways, yes. But I think there was a lot of focus on... Uh, like herpes and HIV, and there was not really much of a mention of other STIs. Um, so it was very much, you know, if you get HIV, you will die. And oh, there's that herpes, I guess, and there's a bunch of other STIs, but you know, who cares about them? 
So it's just not broad enough. Ben, it's been really good speaking with you. Just finally, Deborah, have we progressed mm. uh, enough, do you think, within our, at least within our schooling system? Look, we have progressed, but, you know, there are gaps. So we do know that it's, you know, the curricula is there, but it's up to individual schools sometimes to actually deliver it and, and decide to deliver it. So I think we can do a lot more. We call it comprehensive sexuality education, which covers all of those things around how to negotiate with a partner about using a condom. All of those things are so important. Um, so, I, you know, we've, we've always, always got a way to go. Uh, but I think, you know, what you're doing here today, having those conversations, empowering people who, you know, parents and, and young people themselves to not feel embarrassed. This is a part of health, normal health care. And please don't be you know, embarrassed to come to your, come to your doctor and, and talk about any questions. There's no question which is out of bounds. Um, so I think, you know, it's great that you're having this, we're having this conversation today. Beautifully put. Professor Deborah Bates, and thanks for joining us this morning. A pleasure. Thank you. That was Professor Deborah Bateson of the Professor of Practice at University of Sydney and formerly the Medical Director of Family Planning New South Wales. Rich, we've had a lot of questions posed. Um, I hope the thing that everyone takes out of this isn't just the banana on the condom is still a thing. I feel I worry that it's going to be. I thought too as well. But I mean, there's elements here that are really progressive. You know, there are some things that are happening. The the clinics of yore are still working is is one thing that we're getting. But, you know, that education question, that's one that's really raised its head and and, you know, it's happening a lot earlier than yeah. you and I might have imagined. That's it. Grade five, you know, that's what we've heard in Langwarren. It's happening there. So many texts suggest something other than the banana then, guys. And one that says, as a science teacher in the 80s at a Catholic school, I taught co-educational class and I taught how to put a condom on. I used a piece of scientific apparatus, says Mick. He didn't use a banana. So he's gone out on the limb and used something else. Well, there you go. Mick's being creative. Good on you, Mick. Daniel Miles, as always, thank you. If people could only see, I mean, we are in remote studios and yep. where you are in Warrnambool, you've got Christmas lights and tinsel and all sorts of things in your studio. I couldn't physically forget it's Christmas if I tried. <laughs> uh, I think I'm becoming allergic to tinsel from just sitting in here for the last hour. So thanks for the hour, but I'm going to escape this Christmas goriness and <laughs> get back to the real world. Well, you have a wonderful and safe and happy holidays and thanks so much for all your work this year. You too. Thanks, Rochelle. And a huge thank you to all of my co-hosts. This is my last show today for the year. I'll be back with you in January. And hand on heart to everybody that called through this year for the stories that you shared, for the information that you gave about yourselves. It's been an absolute privilege, as always, to spend this year with you. Stay safe, happy holidays, and I'll speak to you next year.